Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. folks welcome back to mike maurice's mind escape we have episode number 187 tonight uh, we are joined by author and researcher chris bennett uh, you can check out his stuff i have the links down below he's written some articles um and on soma you know cannabis ancient cannabis uh use um and they're they're really well written so go check those out uh he's also written a couple books um, one of them being Cannabis and the Soma Solution, and the other more recent one being Libra 420. Again, I have the links down below. Check those out. Uh, this is going to be part one of a few-part series here. We're going to discuss cannabis as being, um, you know, the potential for what Soma was, and Chris is the perfect person for that. He seems to be have done probably the most research out of anybody I've seen lately uh, on the subject. So, again, check out his work. Uh, if before we get started here, head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast for just $2 a month. You'll get exclusive guest episodes and segments. Uh, if you're not a, a Patreon member for $2, you, you get basically a whole nother catalog of episodes. So if you like our show, head on over to our Patreon. We really appreciate it. Shout out to our new uh, secret escapee tier member, uh, Lou. We really appreciate your support. So shout out to Lou. And uh, one more thing before we get started here, head on over to Indra's Web. Indra'sWeb.org is an app that we created, a a platform uh, where you can talk about all this kind of stuff. It's a social uh, network for open minds. So if you have a hypothesis, theory, uh, speculation on anywhere from, you know, ancient psychedelic use to, uh, you know, megalithic structures, physics, whatever it is, head on over there. That's where the discussion's happening. So, uh, without further ado, welcome on the show, Chris. Hey, pleasure to be here, man. Great to Thanks have you on. Us. I know we yeah, tried to set this up. Yeah, there's the god of cannabis. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, the god of soma. Uh, um, so uh, that's kind of appropriate. Yeah, Indra, for sure. Yeah, Indra, so on, you know? <laughs> yeah I, uh, if you read our blog, there's actually a psychedelic inspiration behind the name, too. And uh, obviously it's a, um analogy that's been used by Alan Watts. And obviously that goes all the way back to uh, ancient times. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, very good one for the Internet with you know, <laughs> kind of like a jewel at each, each interconnection of the web. Yeah, we got to get you on there, man. I think... Uh, we uh, we're trying to build it slow and get a nice slow grow going, but uh, yeah, I like what I'm seeing on there with the type of thinking and you know research that people are doing. So I think it's fine to do you know research on alternative or fringe topics, but you you got to really put the work in to, to find those little uh, you know niches there. Yeah. Well, let's get this thing started. So we're here to talk about Soma. Um, you've written you know, a couple books on the topic, and you've written a bunch of articles. Why don't you tell us like, how you got interested in that specific you know, topic or subject, and then how it's evolved kind of to where you are now? Sure. Uh, about a little over 30 years ago, I had like this powerful spiritual experience on cannabis and uh, trying 
Oh, there we go. You're, we're back. Disappeared for a yeah. second. You're good. Okay. Um, I started researching uh, the role of cannabis in magic and religion, figuring if there was anything to my experience, then other people would have had uh, uh, um, um, some sort of effect like this as well. And so I started uh, slowly researching uh, cannabis for a long time. Uh, in regards to Soma, I just assumed, you know, the, the work of uh, our Gordon Wasson was just so established. Whenever the topic came up, anybody I talked to convinced me that uh, this was uh, Amanita Muscaria, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I didn't, in my first two books, Green Gold, The Tree of Life, Marijuana and Magic and Religion, Sex, Drugs, Violence in the Bible, I just kind of went with that idea. And it wasn't until later um when when some archaeological material started showing up that i started questioning this uh uh uh, identification and looking closer at the matter you know and and i think that's really it i think that the the archaeological information is there in combination with the textual information that makes a case for 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 cannabis as soma and this has to do with a lot of archaeology that's uh emerged in like the last 10, 20 years. Um, and, uh, um, you know, paramount to this is, is you know, cannabis's role in Indo-European and Proto-Indo-European society, right? Like, there's Soma in the Vedic religion and Haoma in the Avestan religion. And this is what uh, the Avestan religion is what later became the Zoroastrian religion, right? And the Vedic religion later became Hinduism. But they have a common ancestry based on the sacred beverages of both uh, uh, of these religions that inspired the, the poets that wrote the texts of the Vedas and the Avesta. And this is being the Haoma and the Avesta and, and the Soma in, in the Veda. And they know that there's this common ancestry because of the uh, similarity in language, Indo-European dialects, as well as mythology and, and stuff like that in the text. So, so um, they come from this earlier Indo-European origins, right? And when we take a look at Indo-European and Proto-Indo-European culture and cannabis, it's like an astounding thousands of years of ritual use. And we can follow this all the way back to where we now know is the uh, uh, Proto-Indo-European homeland, uh, because this has been uh, uh, um, designated by DNA evidence. And this is the steppes region uh, of Russia and uh, um, um, coming into places like Romania and Ukraine. And this is where uh, um, the horse developed as well. Uh, Horse riding was domesticated. And it's believed that horse riding was, in fact, domesticated uh, because of uh, uh, the development of hemp rope, right? And we have, you know, evidence of hemp rope, you know, going back like 25,000 years in Czechoslovakia, right? You know what I mean? And you got to think, like, even by, like, 10, 12,000 years, we have simultaneous industries go you know well you know uh hemp uh being made into fiber cloth and stuff like that 10 12,000 years in taiwan 10 12,000 years in Kalahaya, you know so this is like very divergent cultures that are already making hemp cloth so it's all so old right and um when we take a look at uh the proto-indo-europeans in ukraine and romania romania going back like 5,500 years 5,000 years ago they found evidence of cannabis being burnt at funerary sites, right? And funerary rituals in uh, smoking cups and bowls, little braziers like this, right? Mm-hmm. 
And uh, this is a practice that is in Indo-European culture and widespread for thousands of years later. We can see this at Scythian sites. Herodotus, uh, the Greek uh, historian, wrote like 450 BC, wrote about Scythians throwing cannabis seeds on, on, on hot stones and inhaling the fumes. You gotta remember in these ancient references when they're talking about cannabis seeds, they're talking about seeded butts with calyxes on them and stuff like that. And the calyxes have all the, 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 the THC and resins that you find on butts. They didn't know anything about sensimelia back then. Right. And um, we know that this is the case because at numerous uh, uh, archeological sites in Southern Russia and in Poland and places like that, they've uh, discovered Scythian tombs and braziers used for burning hemp seeds and pretty cannabis in the exact same way that Herodotus describes. This is in braziers and in a little teepee-like structure, and they throw the cannabis on the hot stones, they put their head in the, the teepee, and they, they hotbox their, their heads in there with the smoke, right? And um, now this is interesting because we've also got the example out of central China of the Indo-European uh, mummies that were found there. And this is the Jushi culture that was in uh, central China from about 2000 BT, BC to about 400 BC when the indigenous Han Chinese chased them out of there. And they found um, cannabis and ephedra in uh, a number of tombs there, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we're talking, you know, processed female cannabis flowers, uh, you know, picked out stems and stuff like that, about a pound or so in a basket. Uh, a whole bouquets of female cannabis flowers. Uh, you know, this is high resin content cannabis, right? It was still uh, very well preserved because of the climate here, very cold and dry, right? And uh, other other evidence of cannabis, but they've also found braziers that were used in the exact same way the Scythians were, you know, far distance away from where this is at, right? And, uh, but it, you know, in this case, it was wooden braziers found at multiple uh, uh, tombs, where cannabis was thrown on it in these funerary rituals, identical to these Scythian rituals, right? And so this, you know, and, and then when you get over into Europe, you know, there's been cannabis found at all sorts of Celtic uh, uh, burial sites and stuff like that. So there's likely a relationship there as well. Uh, um, and uh, so how this relates to Soma is that um, these Indo-Europeans in China uh, they were part of a trade uh, network, the, you know, the Silk Road, we know it as, but it might have well called it a hempen highway uh, because there's a lot of cannabis flowing on this, uh, on this trade route as well, right? And uh, um, we know that they were in contact with this other site uh, called the Bactria Margiana Archaeological Complex. And this is in Afghanistan, you know. And uh, there's a Russian archaeologist, Victor Serianiti, and he has found what he says are three sites that were Haoma Soma Temple. And he says that these uh, sites, half the temple site, was dedicated to the preparation of, uh, of the sacred beverage. And he found evidence indicating cannabis and ephedra, but also in one of the sites, opium was uh, poppies were also found, right? Now, there's been debate about uh, um, Serianati's archaeological find because, um, you know, he's working on a, a Russian budget in the 80s and 90s and stuff like that, which isn't, isn't like, you know, uh, um, what you might expect from some American universities or European universities, right? And uh, they're open, you know, working with uh, stuff in the open sunlight. And they, they found 
residues of what they said were cannabis ephedra and impressions of cannabis seeds in gypsum that was in the bottom of pots that he says was used for the, the grinding and preparation of uh, this Soma beverage, right? Other uh, um, archaeologists a couple of years after this claim came out uh, um, asked for some samples and they were unable to reproduce uh, Serianity spine. So unfortunately, it's in a bit of controversy. But uh, it's interesting still because of uh, the relationship with this Chinese vines, but also with the Scythians, who I mentioned earlier in re regarding to braziers, because the Scythians not only burnt cannabis, they drank cannabis, and they found a uh, bone cut with cannabis residues in it, a wine skin with residues in it, and golden goblets that had residues of cannabis and opium in it now. And uh, um, Serianetti says that the Scythians were often the deliverers of cannabis to uh, um, uh, uh, this uh, uh, Bactria Margiana archaeological complex sites. And they were interacting uh, with the, the people there in, 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 in trade routes and stuff. Now, one of the names of the Scythians in this region was the Haoma Barga, means the Haoma gatherers. And agent authors write about how they burnt Haoma as well as uh, uh, um, uh, um, uh, uh, drank it, you know. Uh, um, so, and now what's interesting here is we go back to China with these other Indo-European, uh, known as the Jushi, um, and in that region, there's a Chinese name for cannabis at this time, Huma. And Huma means either fire, hemp, or Scythian uh, 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 cannabis. And it refers to the stuff that these guys had, as opposed to what a lot of the other cannabis that was around in China was more for fiber and seed purposes, right? At the same time, though, we start to see Taoist references to the plant of immortality, cannabis. This is what Isoma is, still plant of immortality. A lot of similar mythology. And um, uh, Mandy Hassan, a linguist, has suggested that uh, the term huma, which can also be applied to ephedra, cannabis and ephedra have a unique relationship in this name. And this is what that Serenati was claiming this uh, uh, Soma Heoma was made from, right? And Mandy Hassan's theory is that in the transportation of this, it came with a name from this region, huma. And this huma became Heoma. And then through further linguistic ch uh, changes becomes Soma as this goes into India, right, you know? And when we look at the period, like, uh, when Soma's disappearing in, in, in Vedic India, you know, when they're starting to lose the identity, a lot of it has to do with the importation of it and the poor quality and uh, lack of it, right? Uh, and cannabis isn't indigenous to that region of India. Uh, um, they know this from pollen samples of Indian soil and things like that. And so uh, um, it's believed that it came with the Aryans, the Aryans who brought Soma with them, right? And so... Uh, I was going to um, actually ask you, too, you were mentioning, you know, Russian archaeology. Didn't they not find, I guess this would be one to kind of, you know, not a contradictory, but they found the mural that has two people standing over a fire and one of them yeah, looks yeah, like he's I holding know, a, a mushroom. I'm impressed by that. So you what know, do you think's I, going on like there? It's a tattered mural. It's, yeah. you, know, you know, like, based on what Vedic description of Soma or Haoma, because both in the Avesta and in the Vedas, there's clear descriptions of, of Soma. And part of what Boston did is like the, the, the most vivid descriptions are given in the 10th Mandala of the Rig Veda. And Boston right. tried to claim that this was one of the later books of the Veda, 
So this by this time it had been lost, and they were talking about a substitute because in the tenth uh, 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 Mandela of the Rig Veda describes soma as a green and purple tree, and describes the the stones used for pressing soma being turned green from smashing it. Right? right, you know what I mean? In a very similar way to where uh, to the pr- the preparation of bong is in India. Right, you know the the term bong is an epithet. Uh, of soma in the Vedas, you know, because it can also mean breaking, right? Uh, um, but it's the same word. Uh, um, I was going to ask and, you too about the. It says the elixir was strained through wool and that it was mixed with milk and water. Now, yeah. we, anybody that's made edibles knows that cannabis is fat. Yeah, you fat. know, yeah. So uh, that's how it binds. So you know, is that possibly why they used milk? Because I always wondered that with soma, like what yeah, was the purpose? Yeah, well, that's likely, you know, but they do make bong even with straight water and and, and, and are able to get an effect out of it in India. You, you know, uh, um, you got to remember, like, uh, um, all this cannabis, too. It's not like fresh cannabis. You know, this is like uh, um, imported into India and stuff like that. And, and uh, UV light, sunlight, will convert THCA into THC. So it's all psychoactive. Right. Mm-hmm. You don't have to heat it or anything like that, although there, there's indications that in some cases uh, there's heating processes. So you, you know, think like uh, the, just the UV light would have kind of decarbed it so that when they. Oh, yeah. UV light and age for sure would have decarbed it. Absolutely. Oh. Uh, uh, um, absolutely. You, you, if you dry cannabis in sunlight, that's what it was like. It made all that like uh, uh, Acapulco gold and Colombian gold was like the way they, they dried it and shit. Right. Is right yeah. in sunlight. It, 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 and they, you know, they, this is like science knows this right you know what i mean cannabis science knows this that it converts it so i've made a venn diagram too for some of the later parts we're going to do on this i mean like i said i've researched this pretty heavily too and i like i like what you have to say about it and obviously you have a lot of empirical uh data and research that you've provided but what about the contradictions because there is contradictions in descriptions and not only that, but Soma is considered a god and part of the Rig Veda and, uh, you know, like a deity or, you know, so there's like different weird components of this. That well, don't... there's like, you know, it's the moon in the sky, like a big pizza pie. Yeah, that's the cup of Soma of the gods, right? And a lot of the rituals are based around the cycles of the moon. And as it drains, the gods are drinking the Soma and as it fills up, it's replenished, right? And this is what Wasson turned to for a lot of his descriptions, right? Is these references to Soma as the moon in the sky. It's pictured as a chariot, you know, it is in the sky, like the moon right. uh, traveling through the sky, right? And then it's also a plant and it's a drink, you know, there is, right? Um, and uh, um, But, you know, uh, um, I think a, a really important thing here is to see what, like, uh, indigenous Indian scholars have to say about soma and, and the vedic stuff right you know there's I a mean? few youtube yeah. videos i've watched that there are people that have certain takes on it for sure that i've seen yeah yeah well you know and it's and, you know and, and it's best to get like translations that aren't done by somebody that's come from some particular camp you know and it's important to remember that wendy doniger who did a lot of the translations for wasson's uh um, um book on soma never accepted Amanita Muscari as a candidate, you know? Hmm. She didn't think that was correct, right? And didn't Watson, translate. towards the end of his life, too, kind of change his mind after he was talking with Terrence McKenna and stuff, and yeah. was kind of convinced that it might have even just been psilocybe? Well, you know, there's, like, weak stuff with it. Like, okay, for one thing, like, okay, Watson discounts the whole Tenth Mandala because he says, oh, 
that was, you know, after they, even though it's written in Sanskrit and it's part of the Vedic, you know, uh, thing, and this is what Vedic scholars say about it, uh, um, he, 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 he knocks it out of the, of the equation uh, because with it, he has no case because there's clear descriptions of, of, of it as a plant in, in, in the 10th Mandala of the Veda. He did the same thing with the Avestan descriptions of Haoma, where it's described as green and a, a mm -hmm. plant-like substance, you know, definitely not a mushroom. He said, oh, yeah, that's after. Those guys already lost it, you know. But then for uh, the, the idea that because the uh, active uh, chemicals of flygaric mushrooms can pass through into the urine, he goes to a text written like 1,500 years after the Vedic period, you know, yeah. and talks about some text there where uh, somebody drinks some pee, you know, from uh, a, 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 a beggar, you know, God disguised as a beggar, right? And, and that's just like, that's, that's, that's pretty ludicrous because there's like this whole history of ritual urine consumption and, you know, Hinduism and Ayurveda. You know, the Tibetan thing is like a, it's like a yogic practice in some cases. Yeah, is that, that nothing is, to do it, with psychoactivity? Is, is the Amanita stuff? Yeah, is, I was going to ask though with the reindeer stuff. Is there really, you know, is that really? I know they've shown videos of like reindeer eat, looking through the snow to eat them and stuff like that. I'm not really concerned with the whole Santa correlations or anything like like I, that. Doesn't really interest me because even if that yeah. was true, what does that even mean? It's still uh, you yeah. know a made up, you know. Yeah, archetype yeah, yeah. you know so i for me the interesting part though is if these reindeer are eating them and people are drinking them and having i mean obviously you need to decarb uh amanita muscaria to get rid of the ibotanic acid and all that so yeah. i mean is that what was going on there were they aware of that do you think like we have to wait till it passes through this reindeer or this person or something like that yeah, I really don't know enough about it you know what i mean and it's like i don't even know that agent uh fly agaric use is established you know what i mean the 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 the, the shamanic use in siberia maybe just centuries overall i know i i don't know of any agent texts referred to it they certainly know about it for some centuries you know right. people were writing about it in the 18th century uh um so you know there, there was some knowledge of it you know pretty much you know the only mushroom that that that, that people were writing about uh as psychoactive substances prior you know, to, to our Gordon Wasson going down to Mexico was a fly agaric. There's no like clear knowledge, you know, evidence in history books, at least, you know, where right. it's clear psilocybin. There's a lot of speculation. You, know, well, you can't see behind down. me, but I have, because I have UFC green screen, but I have uh, Selva Pasalacqua behind me with the uh, little Celosa bees in the corner. Um, so I do, you know, like, what do you think about that? I mean, not to get too far off topic here, but. What do you think uh, about? I, I don't know. What is that? It's, it's like, in Spain. Uh, it's it's like a, a I think a seven or eight thousand year old cave painting where it's clearly yeah solos. yeah well that stuff's cool you know it, it is interesting. Uh, um, and there's one in Algeria too. I think. Yeah, there's one in Algeria know? that's I think uh, uh, nine thousand years old as well. That's clearly slow to be. Yeah, yeah, you, you know. I, I, I'm not against it, but I'm just saying as far as like textual references, you know, and we've got a lot of like uh, things that have been written about in ancient texts and medieval and Renaissance texts, mandrake, handbane, opium, right. cannabis, you know what I mean? I'm uh, with you, um, though. I, I don't think uh, even, you know? I don't think the descriptions are really conducive as far as Soma goes with 
psilocybin or psilocybin. You know, like it just doesn't. I'm very well aware of all these different little nuances, and I don't see anything in there. You know, there's a lot of green, a lot of gold. I mean, some of the similarities you mentioned, they're pressed, you know, between Soma and Oma. The medicinal properties, the yellow and gold derived from the Indo-Iranian Soma, uh, being drank uh, before battle and assisting warriors. Uh, That one's kind of interesting because... Well, you you know, there is like the still, ephedra is still used, right? Uh, as Heoma and Soma, you know what I mean? And that's what is interesting about what Serianati brought to the table <coughs> was that uh, um, that it was a combination, you know, and there's references to the twins in the preparation of Soma as well, right? And there's this unique kind of yin-yang kind of relationship between cannabis and ephedra in China, right? You know what I mean? Right. Uh, um, so that, that, that I think is interesting as well. Uh, um, and, and an argument for it as well, right? Yeah, it just like I said, I mean, I've made Venn diagrams, looked at the differences. There are similarities too. I've personally, and we'll talk about this as the parts go on, I've personally come to the conclusion that this was mostly, to me, it seems like an entheogen mixed with a ritual, and that was what was known as Soma. I, I look at it more of like Soma as being the word psychedelic or drug, and then well, I think that's general. what happened. I think that's what happened. You know what I mean? And so you think like the split off or something came to be came to be uh, uh, um, uh, imbibed as soma and uh, uh, um, invoked as soma. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, that that had the prayers of soma. And, you know, it, it eventually became kind of more of a generic term, right? Mm. It clearly becomes lost at a certain point or inaccessible. And they talk about soma substitutes and and things like that, right? So it became more of a ritual. I think in the very origins, there's that linguistic argument that I that I that I discussed, right? But you know, we're talking about long stretches of time here, right? right. You know what I mean? And and centuries, you know. And uh, um, you know, the the trade routes here too are really fascinating. It affected other religions as well, right? You know, we have the uh, you know we you know we know the Scythians were in Israel. And uh, uh, there was a town there, Sophopolis, right? And uh, we know the the ancient Israelites of 8th century BC were burning cannabis in a very similar way to the Scythians in a small enclosed chamber uh, uh, um, and burning it on an altar. And uh, this is all proven by archaeology. Yeah. Something I was suggesting through etymological evidence for decades, right? Through uh, the, 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 the Hebrew term cannabosum, which is the adoption of the Indo-European term for canna, another name that cannabis traveled around with, right? They just found and, physical uh, evidence, though, within the last year, right? There's been some yeah, articles. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it came out last June. You know, unfortunately, uh, COVID and all the riots and stuff kind of overplayed it, but it's uh, starting to sink in, the, the potential reverence. That's not the only evidence out of the Holy Land either, right? They have uh, evidence from Bet Shemesh, Israel, of uh, topical and burnt cannabis used for medical purposes from the 4th century AD. So that's like a 1,200-year spread, right? And this is all interrelated, I think, with, with, with what was happening with Soma as well, right? And, uh, um, you know, Pat, uh, Professor Patrick McGovern is probably like the foremost uh, expert on the history of alcohol. He thinks that uh, um, Soma was actually cannabis and ephedra infused in wine, which is mm. an interesting theory, because we have the later accounts, uh, you know, Zoroastrian religion with Aoma went through some really heavy reforms. The, the prophet Zoroaster, who kind of took it from a polytheistic religion into a sort of monotheism, 
um, he was very uptight about the all-night orgies and uh, rituals that were taking place with Naomi. You can imagine with ephedra, which is the uh, base for methamphetamine so do you think though that that's where you get the the battle you know the for the warriors and that aspect of it when you see it in text do you think that that's the part of it is the ephedra part uh well the ephedra kept being used (laughs) um but it certainly would have kept people awake for the all-night parties the interesting thing in zoroastrianism is ephedra still used they it's more of a poured out offering rather than something people drink but it is drunk by uh, um, some Sarasian uh, priest, but it's just a mild stimulant in that preparation, right? Uh, um, but Zoroaster took it through reforms, but then what happens in Zoroastrianism is cannabis comes back again as an infusion in wine. Mm. And uh, um, uh, in the, the Denkard and other texts, they talk about figures like Vishtaspa and uh, Ardu Viraf. You know, Ardu Viraf, he saw heaven and hell under the influence of this. Uh, cannabis-infused wine, uh, Vishtaspa saw the end of the world, kind of the prototype for the book of Revelation under it, right? That's where we and get the so, whole, like, light versus dark, the kind of, uh, you know, Zoroastrianism is known yeah, as, like, the first real influence. religion. Yeah, it's a big influence on both Christianity and Judaism in, in numbers of ways, right? You know, and uh, in Gnostic texts, Jesus even refers to Zoroaster by name, right? Uh, real big influence in, in Zoroastrian religions, right? Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of similarities between the Eucharist uh, and so, you know, this is like the subject of the recent book, The Immortality Key, as well. And I've talked about this in my book. And uh, this may have come through Mithraism, it may have come through Dionysian influences, may have well come through even earlier Jewish influences, because uh, uh, um, we know the uh, Jews, you know, they would give uh, incense in, in wine to, uh, uh, to the prisoner on his way to execution, heal his pain. And Amos talks about this same sort of uh, the wine of the condemned being drunk by the priests in the temple. You know what I mean? So it's obviously theogenic as well, right? But uh, when Alexander the Great went into India, he saw people there. This is like 4th century B.C. He saw the people there pressing grapes to Indra, the goddess Soma, right? Mm. Boom. Indra's love, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, um, it's interesting because um, <clears throat> Dionysius and Shiva, the 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 the, 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 the worshippers of Dionysius with Alexandra, Alexander, and the the local worshippers of Shiva, who's also deeply involved with uh, the the whole Soma thing, they recognized that their god was the same god. And this is written about by ancient authors, you know, uh, um, from the time of Alexander onward, that Dionysius and Shiva. Were the same God. Alexander thought he'd found the childhood home of Dionysius when he went into India. Mm. So uh, this is a pretty fascinating connection. And you know, like uh, Dionysius, he comes from uh, you know the worship of Dionysius starts in Thrace and both Marseille Eliad and Erwin Rhodes, a, a well-known uh, German uh, Greek classicist. They both suggested uh, cannabis use in the cult of Dionysius in Thrace. They have uh, 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 priests there known as the Capnobati, those who walk in smoke. And again, a real close relationship with the Scythians. And we know Dionysius is worshipped by some Scythians because we have artifacts like a gold riton uh, with Scythians head on, uh, with Dionysius head on it, found in a Scythian dome, uh, and other uh, other artifacts uh, representing Dionysius found at Scythian sites, right? And so they may as well. This is another thing that Patrick McGovern says 
is they were drinking uh, 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 cannabis-infused wines, right? And so this is a bit of an argument for uh, McGovern, what he's saying. I think that would have been a later development. But again, we're talking about long periods of time here, right? And you know, like a lot of this stuff went out the wayside in India when Buddhism came about. Buddhism was a major reformer. Vegetarianism, the ban on alcohol, and the disappearance of Soma is all due to the sobering influence of Buddhism on the Vedic religion. Mm. How far back do you do you look at? Like, do you go? I know there's been some articles about like. Uh, you know, tens of thousands of years ago, there's some po- possible evidence of cultivation in the Tibetan plains of cannabis and things of that. Oh, that's millions of years ago. Yeah, millions, yeah. Originated. Right. But so I'm just saying, like... I think it originated. All this evidence, you know, that I know of in regards to archaeology, uh, uh, cloth-wise would be like uh, Elizabeth Whalen Barber, who's probably the foremost authority on ancient textiles, uh, uh, um, has said that she's seen tools that are used for breaking hemp fibers from the stalks mm-hmm. that go back 28,000 years. Uh, wow. There's a claim of hemp rope found in Czechoslovakia, 25,000 years, right? And this is all in the time period of what's known as the Great Leap Forward. And Dr. Jeffrey Guy of GW Pharmaceuticals and uh, Dr. John McPartland, another well-known cannabis researchers. They have an excellent theory about how cannabis could have played a role in the Great Leap Forward when things like fire and the wheel and these sorts of technologies uh, may have taken place. So it's stoned uh, ape uh, with actual cannabis. Yeah, stoned ape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm a big, I, I think that is Terrence McKenna's greatest contribution to uh, uh, the, the psychedelic discussion was bringing in Julian Jaynes' Origins of Consciousness Theory with psychedelics uh, because it fits so well. You know, it doesn't have to be mushrooms necessarily. Not to discount mushrooms, you know. I'm not, I'm not against, you know, evidence for mushrooms. Uh, um, you know, the cave paintings, I think, are very intriguing and stuff like that. I just and on the psychedelic chart, they're, they're the most biologically safe, if you will. Yeah, yeah. I just think there's a lot of loose claims going around these days uh, based around mushrooms. I'm not a big fan of uh, uh, basing an argument just on iconography or something in a painting. You know what I mean? You're looking at some medieval painting, and that could be a mushroom. And so Jesus used mushroom, you know, 1,600 years earlier, and there's some secret brotherhood, but nothing ever got written down about it. You know what I mean? Well, but it isn't like that sort of. Look, the cave art, though, I will point out, though, when you have a bull or a cow and then you have the psilocybe clearly, you know, in the same mural and it's art that has never been, you know, to yep. that point discovered. That's a little more convincing. Yeah. That's a little more convincing than some of the stuff, say, like people like Mike Crowley or Jerry Brown are throwing around. Uh, 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 um, so you're you know, talking I, about, I, like, I, I, the stained glass stuff and all the... Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing, yeah. Or, you know, like, uh, the paracels are a big thing in uh, in, in Buddhist art, Tibetan Buddhist art, you know, kind of an umbrella thing. And, you know, Crowley's continually saying these are representative mushrooms, but they've got their own, like, history of, of this type of stuff. And you can go into... Tibetan Buddhist literature of the 10th and 12th century, you can find all sorts of references to cannabis and uh, datura and other substances. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Why they, don't, they, they, they were clearly had texts where they're referring to the role of psychoactive substances. Unfortunately, they don't indicate anything like mushrooms, but there's certainly other 
plenty of uh, hallucinogenic and uh, cannabis and, and other things in there, for sure. Right. I mean, you also have to think about, too, would some of these um, ancient people, you know, like maybe if they found dried, you know, psilocybe on, you know, near in a paddy field or something like that, then, you know, they needed to eat it or something like that. I could see that. But it's like even somebody back then, if you would have to eat a decent amount of fresh to, you yeah. know, so you would have to kind of know. So, I mean, obviously we've been around for a long time, 200,000 years as Homo sapiens sapiens. So, I mean, there's been a lot of time for, I'm sure, exploring and trying and, you know, hey, Maurice, yeah. don't, don't eat that one over there. We know, you know, John, you know, last week, you know, or whatever. So, <laughs> um, so there's probably been a lot of that, but I agree with you. I think that when you're looking at ancient psychedelic use, um, or entheogenic use. Um, nowadays, it seems like there are a lot of things to cross-reference, and it seems like people just want to take whatever sensational headline pops up first as opposed to like really digging deep into it. And I'm not saying it's that. I think it's there. I just think that the specifics are kind of blurry, and people just want to latch on to whatever the narrative is at the time or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's easy to, like... Uh you know, present something like, you know, so few people know even what Soma is, you know, let alone have read through the Vedic literature and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, yeah, I'm a nerd. people will base their opinion on it based on their own drug experiences. You know what I mean? Well, I had a really powerful experience on mushrooms, so it's clearly what these people are talking about. you got to kind of put those kind of biases aside and look at other, you know, like textual descriptions, uh, uh, other historical evidence, archaeology, all that type of stuff, I think, is, you know, and combine that with that, with that self-knowledge as well. Right. What I wanted to ask you, too, is like, what about like some of the, I don't know, what do you call them? They're not stanzas, but they're like little poetry segments. I mean, what do you call them in the Rig Veda? I don't know. I think there's a word for it. I just... Well, the whole thing's kind of, yeah, I don't know, stands is probably a good word for them. I don't know. The whole thing is written like poetry. You know what I mean? But there's some that, um, there's some that like, you know, talk about obtaining light and immortality and like there's certain things that like seem like, I mean, I don't know. I'm a big, you know, it's, recreationally legal here i'd never thought i would see that here in chicago it's recreationally legal where we're from in detroit where maurice is i know it's recreationally uh, recreationally legal where you are in canada um so i mean we're, we're in a different time now for sure but i think that um when you look at these descriptions i mean while edibles will definitely take you to other places and whatever you're you know however you're ingesting well we are talking about ingested cannabis here you know and so in regards to soma right right right. it's a drink right right and bong can be very powerful i think in that regard it's cannabis hands down I, i i guarantee you that nobody can even produce a quarter as much accounts of religious experiences through the ages uh, uh, in any other entheogen that, that could be recorded in, in regards to cannabis. We have existing religions where cannabis is used. Right. Cannabis is still taken by sadhus to get that uh, feeling uh, of you know, nirvana or samadhi. Uh, uh, um, you know, they'll, they'll smoke some chills before sitting down to do their, their, their yoga practices, you know. And uh, uh, same with dervishes, you know, in the 19th century, there's loads of accounts of, uh, of them seeking oblivion of the ego through the, the, the consumption of large amounts of cannabis. I'm glad right? you brought that Rastafarians, up. Rastafarians, you know, 
uh, as well, right? So, you know, Africa as well, there's like lots of tribes where cannabis is venerated as a spiritual thing, right? You got to like remember, we've been introduced, a lot of this is set in setting as well, right? And we've been introduced culturally different to cannabis, you know, and I, I think Tom Hatzis made a, a good point when he said, well, you know, compared to how a lot of these Asian peoples were doing it, we're microdosing, right? Mm. And, and uh, the first medical anesthetic was cannabis-infused wine, you know, in China. And they were performing complicated operations on knocked-out people. You can throw somebody in a full-on catalytic state with cannabis tinctures where their body just freezes up like rigor mortis, their breath drops down, and, and, and they go into a kind of a state of hibernation, right? And when these accounts of uh, the Zoroastrian figures like Vistaspa and Ardu Virov drinking uh, uh, cannabis and fume wine, they're knocked out for like, you know, 48 hours, man. Hmm. Uh, you know, people thought they were like dead, you know, similar accounts uh, with the Hashishin, you know, they, they thought they, they died and they'd wake up somewhere else. They passed right out. So, you know, this was uh, something that the, uh, the Thukis in India did as well. They like infused, uh, gave people cannabis infusions and knocked them out cold and robbed them and murdered them, you know. Uh, um, uh, these are worshippers of Kali in India. That's where we get the name Thug from, right? So you can make really, really potent infusions of cannabis, right? So you can't really compare. And then you can take a look at like the 19th century occult scene. You know, like Aleister Crowley, he had his first experience of samadhi under the influence of hashish. It's all over Bolvatsky, all these different occultists were using it. You know, the, the 19th century scene, particularly in France, a Life of Levi, all these figures wrote about uh, cannabis and hashish, hashish-infused wines and stuff like that. This was a major fueling point for, 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 for spiritual experience. And that was like taking things out of the dull, dry Victorian era into like this living experience of religion for the first time in, in centuries in Europe, right? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I at this point, I've been smoking vaping ingesting for over 20 years i'm my go-to compound and then i guess my other go-to would be psilocybin those are my two favorite i just feel at home uh with them but in terms of you mentioned ego disillusion and this feeling i don't think a lot of people realize like if you you know you're a regular user or you know whatever you you don't recognize how powerful these compounds are actually. And if you take a break, yeah. you know, a tolerance break or whatever the case may be and come back to it, it's like, whoa. But I've even had instances, you know, hitting some live resin from a pen or something like that where I call it scary high. It's not really scary. It's just like an aware, like you're hyper aware at that moment. And it's similar to when you come down off of psilocybin and you're like, I got to get my life in order. I got to get my shit together. You can definitely get that feeling from cannabis. And I don't think enough people talk about that. Yeah, I, I, I was with somebody one time uh, using some really strong cannabis, and they have what I would say was like a waking dream. Their consciousness was the same as it was when you have a dream where uh, the unreal could be completely re real for like an hour. And then they kind of came back to reality, right? And there's this interesting relationship between cannabis and the unconscious and subconscious. The unconscious and subconscious were actually defined through cannabis experimentation. We have people like Dr. J.J. Moreau, a member of uh, the Club de Hashishins with uh, Victor Hugo, Alexander Dumas, Theophile Gautier, uh, uh, um, Dean Raval, and other figures. But uh, he, he wrote a book about cannabis and, and madness. 
uh, because he was like saying that, well, this is like when we dream or when we go insane, right? And they were trying to understand what this was in relation to that, right? And Young, he wrote a, you know, he gave a whole essay about uh, Deirdre Valley, who was a major figure in the, the club, the Hashishines, as an example of somebody where the unconscious or subconscious raised up too quick. And, and there's an interesting relationship between cannabis and dreaming, right? Uh, um, I, I've looked up uh, cannabis and uh, uh, um, melatonin. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, in the 80s, they were doing experiments, and they found that people using cannabis would spike their daytime melatonin levels by like 2,000 times its regular daytime levels. I don't this dream unless it's like, lucid and I go back to sleep. That's usually the only time I dream. Yeah. Uh, um, and that may be why people don't dream at night because they're spiking their melatonin all day if you use a lot of cannabis. And then, you, you know, your melatonin is depleted at night. But I've noticed this other effect where I've gotten up at four in the morning and I've smoked cannabis and I've gone back to bed and had the most intense, vivid, interactive dreams that I've ever had. That's interesting. And I think it's due. I think it's due to this same spike in melatonin. And I think this is why uh, um, that you see in magic, cannabis was used a lot with magic mirrors. Because, you know, and this is like, uh, there's like three 16th century grimoires that refer specifically to using cannabis for seeing spirits and demons in uh, magic mirrors. This is right in the time of John Dee, right? And indications of drug use in, in, in John Dee's writings as well. But there's the Seferaziel, the Salamanas, the Book of Oberon, and the Cunning Man's Grimoire, all make reference to the use of cannabis for seeing magic mirrors. We see this in the 19th century with figures like Dr. Pascal Beverly Randolph and uh, the, the Hermetic Brotherhood of Luxor, which formed from Randolph. They took cannabis as Soma. Uh, uh, um, and uh, uh, Louis Alphonse Cagney and other figures using cannabis with magic mirrors. And I think that this is kind of interesting because what it is, is the magic mirror is a tool for interacting with the subconscious or unconscious. And what these people were doing is getting the kind of effect, you know, who is it that, that tells us our dreams at, at night? We're in the dream. We're being told the dream. We're all the other characters in the dream. That's us and our unconscious or subconscious mind interacting. And uh, I think the same spike in melatonin that was, uh, 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 you know, causing this sort of access in, in dreaming was probably why that it was used in in magic as well as for accessing, you know, the 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 the, the, the revealer of our dreams, the narrator of our dreams mm. in magic mirrors. Yeah, that's interesting. And actually, we've had uh, Dr. Rick Strassman on the show before, and he talked about how. Uh, he was actually studying melatonin, which led him to all of his DMT research and the pineal gland and all that stuff. So I think that yeah. melatonin does play a massive role, obviously, not just in our, you know, sleep cycles and things you like know, that. I used, but... to be, I used to be friends with Strassman. I knew him in the 90s. He came and visited me out when I lived in this little fishing town on Vancouver Island. Uh, um, but we kind of had a falling out when his uh, second book came out. Uh, uh, I forget the name of it, not the spirit molecule, the one of the follow-up uh, to that one. The soul of prophecy? Yeah, the soul of prophecy. And in there, he's saying there's no evidence of, of ingestion of any sort of entheogenic substance. And I was like, well, Ezekiel eats something. You know, Moses burns an incense. Isaiah, you know, takes a hot coal off. And he got all choked up. But now that's all proven. You know what I mean? It's right. clear 
that 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 the Hebrews did use entheogens. Yeah, I mean, I um, I mean, who knows? He might be open to that idea. Obviously, there's physical, you know, data now and stuff like well, I'm that. I'm sure yeah, everybody's got to reassess with that without at hand now. I'm right, sure. and even look at the all the DMT research. I don't know if you saw that DMT Quest documentary, but there's a lot of new developments in that field as well. So, I mean, even that, you know, with the endogenous stuff and everything. So, um, when you look at, you know, the way we know about a lot of the stuff is through etymology and languages and these, all these migration patterns and different things. And it kind of all came from this little turnaround at the top of the Caspian sea. And then it split off to my point earlier about it being more of a generic term. Do you think that there was an original soma and it was cannabis, but then, it, like you mentioned, maybe through t- telephone and languages and you know migrations and stuff that they had to make do with what they where they were, or maybe you know the cannabis wasn't coming through those yeah. trade routes or something along those lines. Well, well, like I like I was saying earlier, I think that you know cannabis is absolutely was a major force in Proto Indo European and Indo European cultures. Uh, the, the term itself is pro, uh, Proto-Indo-European cannab, and all of our modern terms, cannabis, bong, chambra, sauna, and Sanskrit, all are, are developed from this Proto-Indo-European term. And we know that Proto-Indo-Europeans were using cannabis in China. They were there from 2000 to 400 BC. My view is that the cannabis that was exported from there, and this was cultivated resin-quality cannabis, we know this from the, the, the finds in China, that when it was exported from there, it was exported with that name, Huma, right? Mm-hmm. And came into uh, 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 the Bactria Margiallon uh, archaeological complex as Huma. That name became Hayoma, which is very linguistically similar. And then through other linguistic changes, by the time it reached India, it's Soma. And this has to do with the, the difference between the Avestan and Vedic languages and how the H is translated and stuff like that. But it's the same word, just uh, one's Vedic and one's Avestan. And that's, that's where I think the term comes from. But this was going on for a long period of time. There were rituals around it. And as the trade routes became inaccessible, you got to remember the Han Chinese taste those Indo-Europeans out of China, like 400 BC, right? And there's lots of habit going on in the whole ancient world. The spice, uh, the, 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 the spice trail, you know, gets blocked off, right? You know what I mean? Uh, um, and things don't become access, but the rituals keep going on. So they, they, and they, they talk about this in like the Patatha Brahmana and other uh, texts later, Vedic period texts about substitutions and it's just numerous ones of them made and so it became a situation where it was just ritualized and through the ritual whatever was prepared became the sacred beverage right Mm -hmm. Uh, um, and so that was kind of where it left off uh before you know buddhist reforms and a lot of the buddhist reforms were like all this stuff was heavily taxed there was all this import tax everybody went on a piece of the action and anything you did in vedic culture required these elaborate rituals and you to pay the priests who performed the ritual. You wanted to get married. You had to hire these Vedic priests to get married. You wanted to like, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, do something with your cow there or, you know, get it to get milk. You'd have to do some ritual for that. Everything. And this was real complications around Soma and Hillman. Everybody was trying to get a piece of the action. This is clear from the descriptions that this was going on for the time period, right? 
And then mm. a, a big part of like Buddhist reforms was getting rid of all that bullshit. You know what I mean? Because it was complicating life all over the place, right? Right. And so it was it was moving away from all that complicated over ritualization or something like that. Be like you know having the Catholic Church involved with every aspect of your your daily existence. You know. Yeah. So and actually, I thought that that was could have been added to the immortality key. That whole evolution of if you look at the origins of like two major religions and religious texts that came out of that, the Rig Veda and the Avesta, you know, like that whole migration produced that. And it's all based on one word that was split off too. So it comes yeah. from pressing stock mixed with like a ritual. So um, if that's not, that's, that should have been the catalyst for, or that is the catalyst I think for obviously a lot of the stuff that we think of when we think of these things. Um, and obviously there's, was stuff going on before that and like we mentioned the cave art and you know even yeah there's like weird time periods like you go 8000 bc to six five four thousand bc and there's not a lot known about you know that stretch of time either so um i mean we just found gobekli tepe this thing's twelve thousand years or eleven thousand six hundred years old you know so um yeah, not a lot's known about that, but I think it is interesting that those were the origins. Both of those religions and cultures came from this pressing of this stock, and you know, you could easily say, obviously, that it's you know the hemp stock or the cannabis stock. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and and we know, like from archaeological evidence, that cannabis was both drank and inhaled. Uh, burnt uh, in Indo-European, Proto-Indo-European cultures, going back thousands of years. You know what I mean? Going back fifty-five hundred years. So, what about and, that and, thing? And like a priest walks use? by down the aisle, and like the smoke with the incense. Do you think at some point that there might have been cannabis in there? Well, you mean like in the Christian church? I don't know what those things are called. They're like swinging like balls that like. Well, frankincense generally the Catholic Church, the incense censers. Um, well, I don't know about it. Not in the Catholic Church. I think that the Catholic Church is like where all this shit disappears, right? You know what I mean? When the Catholic I mean, there's Church even a precursor, right? All that stuff came from a lot of Sumerian and ancient Egyptian yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. ritual stuff as well. Yeah, well, you know, my view is like, you know, Gnosticism, there's clear references to entheogenic substances in Gnosticism. Gnosticism is like this blanket term for a, a, a number of different uh, 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 Gnostic Christian sects, Sethians, Valencians, Marconians, there's all these different Ophites, yeah. uh, Manichaeans, you know, but they were all kind of Christian. Uh, but they're kind of almost like kind of like New Age religions, and they combine things like Manichaeism, you know, Jesus is worshipped alongside Zoroaster and Buddha and things like that. And uh, um, in many ways, it's a reversal of, of a lot of Jewish cosmology. Yahweh of the Old Testament is not a good figure in a lot of Gnostic beliefs. But in Gnosticism, it's pretty clear that there's entheogenic use, and it's infused wines in other ways, right? I was talking about, uh, uh, um, you know, the, 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 these Hebrew references to this term cannabosum, which uh, I was suggesting was cannabis, and now has been... Uh, um, fortified by this archaeological evidence out of Arad Jerusalem from the 8th century BCE. And uh, in the references to Cannabosum, uh, um, God, who first appears from flames of fire within a burning bush, commands Moses to make this holy anointing oil with about uh, two and a half pounds of uh, Cannabosum, which we're saying is cannabis, but in modern translations of the Bible, going back to the Vulgate when it was first translated, uh, uh, um, into Greek and Latin and stuff like that, uh, um, uh, that this has been translated as calamus or fragrant cane. 
Uh, um, but this etymologist, Sula Bennett, in the 30s said this was a reference to cannabis. So he commands Moses to make this holy anointing oil with this cannabis and myrrh and cinnamon. And every time Moses is to speak to the Lord, he places this oil on the altar of incense and he speaks to the Lord in a pillar of smoke over the altar of incense, right? He's in this, mm. like, we know this, like, temple site in Arad. It's like the size of a, of a walk-in closet, you know? Right. <laughs> and so it just gets completely full of smoke and Moses is sitting there, oh, God, what should we do? And in good Julian Jane's fashion, a voice comes out of the smoke. This is what you must do. Go tell the Israelites this. And Moses comes out of the tent of the meeting. None of the other Israelites ever see or hear Moses. And he says, this is what God says we must do. And the other Israelites, they only know that Moses is talking to God if they see the smoke is coming out of this little tent of the meeting, this little enclosed structure, right? Now, this holy anointing oil is a very important thing, right? In, in Hebrew, the one who received it was referred to as the Messiah. This means the anointed one. And at first it was just limited to the high priest, but then later kings were anointed with this. And the term Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew term Messiah. It makes direct reference to the same anointing oil that contained cannabisum. And we have evidence from the 4th century AD of topical and burnt cannabis being used for medical purposes. And this healing oil of Jesus is both medical and entheogenic. In the oldest of the Synoptic Gospels, you got to remember, Jesus doesn't ever baptize anybody. But in the oldest of the Synoptic Gospels, Mark, he, he's given uh, holy oil to the 12 apostles, and, and they go out and cast out demons and heal the sick with the holy oil. Casting out demons? Probably a reference to epilepsy, because epilepsy was thought to be demonic possession up until medieval times. Paracelsus, the alchemist, actually has a cannabis-infused wine for epilepsy. Mm. Uh, and Assyrian references uh, to the hand of ghosts, which is thought to be a reference to you know the possession aspect of epilepsy, uh, required topical cannabis for, for getting rid of it. We see right now in our own time, parents all over the place with children suffering from deadly epilepsy, finding relief and thinking they've seen a miracle in cannabis. You know what I mean? That's happened right now. Yeah, that's a throwback to that uh, the GW Pharma company. They were the first ones to give the, yeah. the child the uh, CBD stuff. Yeah, yeah. So you know that that's real, right? And uh, in 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 uh, the, the in John in the New Testament, it says you know if you've received the anointing, you require no teacher. And this is a big conflict in the Gnostic text. One of the big divisions between what became the Catholic Church, who gave us the New Testament, and these Gnostics whose own books were hidden and banned, was water, versus, water baptism versus anointing oil. The Gnostic text, they say specifically, there's only water. Yeah, the, the Essenes baptism. kept all that stuff uh, separate yeah. and hidden away. Yeah, and they said there's only water in the baptism, but there's fire in, in the anointing oil. And they say through it we're initiated into unfading bliss. And they refer to it as the plant of kindness, right? And there's also references to these same sort of cannabis-infused wines, and the church fathers even compare these to the Magi's wines. When Marcus the Gnostic is, is, is using this cannabis-infused wine and this ritual sex magic, it's a big bit of description. And uh, it's clearly an entheogenic preparation of some sort used to invoke grace, a Eucharist, a Gnostic Eucharist. It brings the, the blood of the goddess grace into those that drink it, and through that, they're able to speak forth with prophecy, right? 
It's all very, very interrelated. Yeah. You know, this is really interrelated. You know, really gets into being close to Hilma because of the big Zoroastrian influence here. Like I said, uh, uh, there's you know, Zora there's texts where like the Book of Jew, which has got loads of references to like putting vine branches in wine, burning incense that contained a wonder, and this is all Jesus performing these rituals, right? Uh, uh, um, and he refers specifically to Zoroaster, you know. Uh, uh, um, so, you know, th this is right in, in in these texts, and this brings it right into relation to Helma and these earlier types of things. I think, you know, what we're really witnessing here through archaeology, and I'm sure there's more to come, since they've tested that uh, uh, altar in Iraq, they've been doing more, more sampling like that of, of ancient sites and relics and things like that. I think what we're witnessing here is, is the rebirth of the sacrament of the ancient world. You know what I mean? And it's mm. it's like a paradigm shift for people. I, the, the information about the role of entheogenic substances in the ancient religion, in particularly in regards to like Soma and Haoma, the foundations of the Vedic and 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 and, and, and the Vestal religions, Hinduism, Zoroastrianism. Uh, um, and uh, you've got to think how these interrelate with all the other religions, Buddhism and all that type of shit. And then also this evidence coming up with, with the biblical stuff. I think when it's understood, it's as much a threat to fundamental religion as Darwin's theory of evolution was to the myths of creation and Genesis. Because what it shows is the plant-based origins of these religions. And these religions went around, particularly when we're talking about the Abrahamic religions, destroying this type of shit every time they came into contact with it, whether it being at the inception of the Dark Ages in the 4th century when all the Gnostic sects and pagan sects that used amphiogens were suppressed, or the medieval period when witches were burnt at the stakes right. for using sacred plants, or when they came to the New World and they persecuted people for using sacred mushrooms and peyote, or in Africa with iboga where this was all considered paganism and devil worship. And now here we're finding out, you know, that their very own prophets were the counterparts of these ancient witch doctors and shamans. So what do you think, though, about like, I mean, you've researched all this stuff. You're obviously into these topics. Um, these ancient people believed that there was these entities or spirits or daemons, demons, you know, all these different, uh, you know, angels, all sorts of different stuff. Where do you think, like, how do you think about it? Like, do you think that... They well, were... I probably sound like an atheist to a lot of the people that are. Well, I'm, but I'm just saying, like, do you, do you giving, look at it? I'm giving, I'm giving that kind of explanation of that. But yeah, but I'm saying, know, like, I said it. I was going to go say, ahead. do you think though, like, you know, because you could even go with the whole like DMT entities and psychedelic entities, and their people are experiencing what they feel like is an external presence or source. Well, I, I don't believe in discarnate entities myself. You know what I mean? It's so you like, think it's like I our subconscious? Tonight, or... and, and you could be in my dream, but that right. doesn't mean you're in my dream, right? You know what I mean? And it, it all seems pretty real, as real as any sort of drug experience, right? Uh, um, so I don't believe in that, but I do believe in like a collective consciousness, you know, and in, in that we're all connected in, 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 to God in the sense that we're all we're all Shiva's dream, you know? And, and I said at the beginning of the, the, the program that I'd had this mystical experience under cannabis, you know. Um, and I, I should probably tell you about that because yeah, they, I'm not an atheist. Away. I'm not an atheist. And what happened, this was in the early, like, uh, 1989, 1990. And at that time, 
I lived in this little fishing town on the uh, west coast of Vancouver Island. I was a surfer. I, I grew cannabis, but my whole trip was kind of based around surfing. And I had this job a few nights a week as a night watchman. And a series of events uh, took place that kind of brought me to have this religious experience. And the first of these was uh, um, there was a real big scandal here in Canada involving a Catholic orphanage called Mount Cashel. And kids that had been there were growing up and saying, I was molested by priests. And this was the first time anybody had ever talked about like this in the press, right? And it was like, whoa, what is this? And I was like, oh, I wasn't really, you know, wasn't really brought up too religious. But I thought, I thought, uh, you know, Christianity was a lot different. I'm going to read the Bible. I just don't get this shit. And I started reading the Bible and when I was at work as a night watchman. I just couldn't get into it. I stuck it in this night watchman office and forgot about it. Another thing that happened was um, there was a big uh, uh, environmental protest where I lived about the logging of the last coastal uh, old growth rainforest, Blackwood Sound. And my, you know, I, I worked in the forest and my brother was the union chief for the, for the loggers and shit, right? And um, uh, um, coinciding with this, a friend of mine, he taped a documentary about hemp. At that time, even the word hemp had been forgotten. Nobody used that term anymore, you know what I mean? And it was all about the industrial applications. He told me about it. I was like, oh, this is bullshit. And then I saw it and I was like, oh, wow, you know? And at that time in Canada, you couldn't even get grow books or high times. All that shit had been banned. And so I started looking up in encyclopedias and finding out you could make paper from hemp and fuel and fiber. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And uh, then another thing that happened was the Gulf War had started in Iraq. And Saddam Hussein had fired a Scud missile into Israel. And because Babylon was where Iraq is, people were comparing Saddam Hussein to Nebuchadnezzar, the last king of Babylon. He was right into this. And uh, he attacked the Jews, like Nebuchadnezzar, who overthrew the Jews, right? And so one day I'm in this fish plant about two in the morning and I'm sitting in this lunchroom smoking a joint. And in those days, there was no Internet or anything. So, uh, you know, like TV guides, all that type of stuff were in the newspaper. And I'm looking through this newspaper and I see this advertisement for a sermon. I think it was Pat Robertson. And it was Revelations 18, the fall of Babylon. And behind him, he had picture tanks and jets. And I was like, oh, wow, these fucking guys are tying in the book of Revelation with this Gulf War. And I thought, well, I'm going to go read the book of Revelation right now. You know, I mean, this is like 1990. So, right, you know, people are kind of peaked for that kind of mentality with 2000 coming up. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I get the book. I get the Bible I had in there. and I start reading the book of Revelation and the beginning of the story. John is given a scroll and he puts it in his mouth and it tastes as sweet as honey. And then he swallows it. And it turns bitter in his stomach and he begins to prophesize. And I was like, what did that dude eat? And then I read a little bit further on, and they're talking about how they were wearing sackcloth, and they were given much incense to offer, and the incense contained the prayers of the saints. And I was like, well, this is tripping me right out, all this billowing smoke and incense and shit. And I got to the end of the, the Bible, Revelations 22, and I read the verse. On either side of the river of life stood the tree of life, bearing 12 matters of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. When I read that, I had this feeling like light just poured into my body and that this was a reference to cannabis and all these fruits where it's industrial applications, it's paper to save our old growth forests, it's fuel to move away from fossil fuels, it's seed to feed the world with one of the most digestible forms of protein known. And, uh, you know, all these different manifold uses and it's leaves for the healing of the nation. And I was like, well, man, and, you know, 
I called my wife up and she thought I was having some sort of mental breakdown. She started just like bawling her head off. And the next day I got up and I was like, fuck, man, was there anything to that? Was I just like, did I just trip out and have some sort of mental breakdown or what the fuck happened? And I would look out my window at these clear cut mountains and I thought, ah, for sure, I believe in this hemp stuff. So I'm going to start promoting that for sure. And if there's anything else to this religious aspect, then somebody somewhere else will know something about this and there'll be stuff about it. And so I slowly, and I, you know, I, I'm a high school dropout, man. You know, I hadn't written anything at that time. This is when I was like 27 years old. And here we are like 31 years later, man. And I'm saying to you, that cannabis is that tree of life. And this guy's got a bunch of books out there, folks. Dreams do come true. <laughs> yeah. You know, and Preach so that was now. the pivotal point, pivotal moment of my life. I, it was like, before that, I was somebody different. After that, I was given this mission and I just kind of fucking stuck my nose to the fucking grinder. And, you know, like, I, I, I can't say I've always been true in my relationships with people in life. And, I, you know, I haven't always been been there for people, you know, individually. But this one thing, man, this one thing I've stayed true to completely for like 30 odd years now. And it's real, man. And it's it's manifesting itself in ways that I could not imagine. You know what your I mean? Telos or purpose. That was your uh your calling. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, that's an interesting story. Now I guess b- back to my question though. So you said you kind of have like a collective a conscious or maybe like a panpsychism or like the universe yeah. is conscious or something along those lines. Um so what do you think these entities are like our subconscious or uh, I think it's the way that interacts with us. You know what I mean? It's like archetypes. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. us. You know, the, I, I think it's more like, you know, Young called it a collective unconscious. I think that there is, in a very real sense, this collective aspect is aware of itself. You know, the Gnostics, and, you know, you got to remember, Young was deeply influenced by Gnosticism. They called it anthropos, the spirit of humanity. And the, and the Kabbalah, it's kind of like Adam Kadman, and it's like this collective aspect uh, of humanity. But yeah, weird, you know, synchronistic experiences where somebody brings me something I'm looking for. They they have no way of knowing and no, and that's not their purpose for doing it. But it's like this collective aspect of consciousness is working through various individuals, or maybe I'm schizophrenic. I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean you you sound like uh, just somebody that's passionate that's done a lot of research that's had Absolutely. like you just mentioned like a personal experience that was kind of like a catalyst for all this. So I mean. I don't, uh, I like hearing people's personal stories because they usually involve the catalyst of like where that person's passion or, you know, what was the turning point that made you get into this kind of stuff. So it's kind of a generic question when you do, you know, interviews. I hate when they focus too long on it, but I think that stuff like this, I think it's, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, And to anybody that's interested in Gnosticism, there's a great, courses on audible that i i love that has tons of information it's uh, gnosticism from nag Hammadi to the gospel of judas and they go through you know valentinus all the whole gnosticism and the different versions and yaldaba oath and the demiurge and i think also yeah. elaine pagels has written a few books on the subject too, yeah, as well miguel connor has a great gnostic uh, podcast called aeon bite as well has a lot of gnostic scholars on it and stuff awesome um so, yeah, I think that this has been, you know, 
a fascinating look at this topic. Uh, is there anything else you want to add as far as like, a, you know, from an evidence point of view for. Yeah. Well, I'm interested to see what other stuff, you know, I don't know, maybe come back and talk about it. And I'll yeah. Like I'm going to go through all the some of these things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I mean, you're more than welcome to come back on and discuss after we're done. I mean, um, yeah. like I kind of put my, my thought on it out there already, which is, I think it's more of like a psychedelic, you know, or a psychoactive compound mixed with a ritual. Uh, that well, it, you know, I, I think my, my institute, I have this retreat center we, we talked about earlier, Soma Institute. And when I use the term Soma in there, I'm using it kind of as a generic term for entheogen. You know what I mean? It's right. like it's become a definite kind of generic entheogenic term. You know what I mean? But, you know, the whole point of uh, this series that we're doing is I want to just put the most credible stuff, you know, have your take, you know, like I said, I've made Venn diagrams and charts of migrations and the etymology and all that stuff. Just put that stuff out there. And I want the listeners to decide. Cause I think when people go off and do their own research, it leads to more breakthroughs or somebody makes this connection that wasn't made before. And I think that we need more of that and less definite opinions. And, you know, I don't know how anybody can stick to, any one idea i used to kind of feel that way but now i feel like you just have to always be willing to evolve you know obviously certain stuff that you've done like historical research and stuff like that you can point to certain things but i think that when you look at the evolution of science and you know the you know the philosophy of science and you have to always be willing to kind of you know move or keep pushing that boulder up the mountain kind of a thing so well things change you know what i mean it's it's like sometimes scientists have to give up their theories and uh in relation to new to new stuff like that's what happened with uh, the proto-indo-european homeland you know the there was a big theory that it was anatolia and another theory that it was western steppes and it ruined the relationship between uh uh um uh the the, the people behind it sir colin renfrew and it's this I, I can't remember the name of the woman it's the, the that woman name sounds the familiar that, that Wendy Doniger, who did who did wasson's book said the steps and then the DNA evidence, you know, they tested large swaths of Indian population. It documented that they came out of the steppes. That Colin Renfrew, I think we made a short video on like the origins of ancient Greece, like the lead in from Mycenae into the civilization. And, you know, I want to say he's been investigating or was part of archaeology our archaeological dig going on investigating the site. I think it's Daskalio. It's this like pyramid looking island off the coast of uh, Karos Island in the Cyclades. And uh-huh. that, that Cyclidic culture, I mean, the statues are very similar looking to the Naragi people from Sardinia and also um, the, some, the, the Urfa man from uh, Gobekli Tepe. So obviously, you know, the cradle of civilization, all that kind of stuff spread out from there. Um, but yeah, interesting stuff. What about yeah, it is, yeah. what about uh, when you look at these? You know, there's all these different theories. Everybody, you know, it's it's psilocybin, it's you know uh, ayahuasca analog, it's you know it's phalaris grass and pegamum harmala, or um, you know who knows. There's so many different psychoactive compounds out there. I know. I think you do have to like focus on the region when you're talking about these things too. You know, like what were yeah. What was going around in that region of the Caspian Sea? There, what was the, 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 what did the region look like at the time? Like, what was the climate? Was it similar to how it is today? You know, I think you have to kind of look at all that stuff too. You know, the flooding patterns and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but when you look at this stuff, do, are you so, are you one hundred percent convinced that 
it's cannabis, or at least cannabis was involved through most of it. Uh, through Solomon Hill, absolutely. Okay. You know, up until, you know, like, it, it, the, the whole thing gets lost, and then, like, Indra all of a sudden is kind of, like, almost pushed right out of the pantheon. He doesn't play a very important role anymore. He was the king of the gods, and everything goes over to Shiva. And I think this is is where um, the... the the, the that cannabis the, the soma becomes more uh, of a bong type of thing you know what i mean it's mm. attributed to, to uh shiva and this is in the uh, myth of the churning of the ocean of milk and uh in that myth um indra um insults an aspect of shiva and uh this brings down a curse on the three worlds and so shiva Vishnu and uh, Krishna uh, go see Brahma, and Brahma says, oh, what you need to do is get potent herbs. Then you must go to the ocean of milk, and you need the uh, mountain maru and the, the, this giant snake to churn it, like a churning stick. And you throw the potent herbs in the ocean of milk, and then you churn it with the mountain and the snake, and it's such a big job, you got to get all the demons to help you. And so they go and they do this, and this is where uh, um, uh, and you got to get the Amrita. And Amrita is a counterpart of Soma. Amrita is interesting because it has a Greek counterpart, Ambrosia. They come from the same root. Right. And some see this as a, as a, as a connection. Yeah. Uh, and so um, they, they go and they churn it and they eventually get the Amrita. And, uh, but first the poison comes out. Shiva drinks the poison, saves the world, turns blue. His neck turns blue. But then the Amrita comes out. And uh, to save it from the demons that help them, the Garuda bird flies off with it. Now, drops from the cup of the Amrita fall on earth. And these are the spots that the Kumbha Mela is held today. And it's also said that cannabis, <coughs> referred to in this uh, case as Vajaje, a uh, Sanskrit term that means victory in honor of Shiva's victory, sprouted from these same spots. You know what I mean? And you can go to the Kumbha Mela today, and everybody's taking cannabis in honor of Shiva. And Indra's like not even, you know, really mentioned it at all in any of this, right? And so this is where this is kind of transitioned into more of a, uh, a folksy sort of uh, relationship with, with, with the sacred beverage, where it didn't have to go through all that Vedic ritual, and even the poor and everybody can kind of take care, take part in it more equally, right? Right. And this seems to be in the transition from uh, uh, Indra worship over to Shiva worship, where Shiva's kind of almost the, the main figure in the pantheon now. Yeah, and it says that both the origin says they both Homa and so, uh, Soma are both grown in the mountains, but their origins are heaven. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's like the heavenly soma, you know what I mean? That's what I mean, like the cup in the sky is full of the heavenly soma, right? You know what I mean? Uh, um, and so the, the earthly soma is what we drink, and that's its earthly counterpart. And we know, you know, cannabis in, you know, some elevation is, is actually quite productive, so. Oh, yeah, well, this is where these uh, the, these Indo-Europeans in China, they were up at high up mountains, you know? Right. And they were growing quality cannabis. Do you think so, they... You mentioned earlier, but do you think they knew the difference between, um, you know, the female and producing, yeah, you know, yeah. they, not necessarily seedless, but less seeds or more of a bud? I don't know if they, they, I don't think they knew about producing seedless cannabis because there's no evidence of that. But they certainly were selecting the female flowers, you know, the mm. bouquet was all female flowers on, 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 the, on, on the mummy. 
And in the case of the processed cannabis, it was all female cannabis flowers, you know, right. that had been picked through and stuff like that. So uh, um, they definitely knew that. And it was definitely cannabis that had been cultivated for, for its psychoactivity, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I'm so close to this, you know, the cannabis, you know, cause I use it. I just, it's, it's tough. Like when, when I first started researching this, it was tough for me to accept that as a possibility just because we're so used to it. Yeah. And, and it just seemed like, so like the, the beginning of the, the Rig Veda and the, the you know, the Vesta and, you know, like these are pivotal points and the things that they're saying in there seemed so grandiose that. Well, take you, a look at like, uh, take a look at like jazz music. You know, reefer band, right. uh, uh, a mile high, you know, or hip hop music. And this is like, I think, a really important thing here is like, you know, the relationship between cannabis and hip hop music, uh, uh, how it brings on that rap kind of spirit, man. It's like, you know, this is like not just with hip hop, reggae music. There's like a whole Colombian genre. There used to be a Greek form of uh, jazz, rambagata, which was really hashish infused jazz music this is not the first time that uh cannabis has played an influence of music right even the merry pranksters would sit around and they call it rapping where they would smoke or take psychedelics and yeah yeah. and this is the role that it was like a lot of not just the betas and the avesta are written in poetry a lot of the texts of the bible are also written in poetry and this is something that julian james was saying is like by throwing in a certain beat you know repetitive beat and you get into kind of a sort of right brain trance, and then the words kind of start coming out. And this is the way a lot of the religious literature was composed. It would have been like people burning cannabis in the temple or drinking bong, and there's music, drums playing, beats going, and then people start kind of getting into a trance, and they start throwing words out, and there's other people writing all that shit down. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. This, is, this is like kind of how this stuff was produced bringing it up out of ourselves, invoking that muse that that enthusiasm which means possession you know what i mean you know genius which has it comes from the same root as genie it means guardian angel angel basically we invoke that we bring it out and we get thrown into that and then that same aspect that tells us our dreams at night starts coming out and laying down land down shit for us you know yeah um also yeah. too i mean when you look at uh yeah, I just, like I said, I just, it seemed maybe, the, again, because we're viewing it from like the modern uh, version, we know what real psycho- psychoactive and psychedelic compounds can do now. We, we have a real understanding of, you know, um, where they come from and uh, how they affect us, you know, and even though they've been, there's been a prohibition on them for some time now since the late 70s, it looks like that's about to change with all the psychedelic science and the people getting all the stock stuff going and it seems like there's a changing of the, of the tide with all that. Um, but yeah, I think it was in, um, I can't remember if it was an electric Kool-Aid acid test or on the road. My mind's kind of going blank, but he talks about combining smoking with, uh, taking, you know, speed and how that that's can kind of, that's the acid test. Okay. The acid Crack test the door open. Is that yeah. What you're it, about? it kind of is like a, the first or like oncoming effects of like LSD in some regards, like that combination. So if you had cannabis with ephedra, you know, it might even resemble uh, an early stage LSD trip or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. People got to really 
you know, keep in mind too the potency of ingested cannabis. It can be very, very powerful. Try eating a couple of grams of bubble hash and and see where that takes you. You know what I mean? And, you know, it, it can be it can be as powerful as any other psychedelic if it's if it's used in in, in those sorts of doses levels. You know? Yeah, I remember eating it. I'm fully scared. <laughs> to do it again. I, yeah. I'm uh I remember eating a cinnamon roll. I think I talked about this on maybe one of our trip report episodes, but <laughs> I ate a, a full cinnamon roll. My I afterwards I ate it and I for like a day I was like on a different planet and it, like something yeah. went wrong with the butter because I was sitting on the toilet half the time too <laughs> and the whole thing yeah, was just a mess brutal. and I remember calling my buddy the next day he's like dude you were supposed to take like a bite or two you ate the whole thing you know <laughs> so um yeah you can you know now you know I've we've done an, if anybody's a secret escapee, we did an episode where I ate 200 milligrams and did the, the episode, and, you know, it was kind of normal. You know, I, I have Well, a, you know, you can get used to these things yeah. for sure. You know what I mean? You do it enough times. But, yeah, for a beginner, you want, you know, like 5, 10 max, you know, for uh, yeah. somebody. That's why the, these things go wrong, and you see these stories in the news and everything is because people yeah. don't don't understand it's a completely different thing than smoking. Yeah, the guy and setting set an plays a big role here, too. You know what I mean? It's like... These people aren't like, oh, you want to try some marijuana? You already heard lots about it. It's a known thing, you know. There's few people ever ever try it without knowing nothing about it. You know what I mean? It's so well known. Right. And, uh, for most of these people back then, it was like, you know, it was like a big moment, man. You know what I mean? It was like they didn't know what to expect, and there's a whole ritual aspect being presented to them with it you know what i mean mm. and that that has a huge effect on any substance you could even get an effect from placebo with that we you see that with the eucharistic of the catholic church you know what i mean right it's all just focus focus there's no no actual actual psychoactivity there well a high dose edible in darkness meditating i mean you can go places <laughs> i I, bye yeah. bye. I that's you know that's one of my favorite pastimes so there you uh, go yeah, it's interesting stuff. I mean, I, I you know, if people are interested too, definitely check out his book, uh, Cannabis and the Soma Solution. Um, and all obviously he references all of the um, the data and you know the research that came before him. And he's got he did a great job of citing other people. And uh, also he's written a bunch of articles on cannabis culture, which I did add the link down below. I, what is that? A four or five part? Uh, yeah, it's a five part series. I was actually talking to Graham Hancock and, you know, suggesting that he should present something like that on his site, you know, like uh, calling all candidates for SOMA. You know what I mean? Right. Let's get a discussion here. You know, I do think it's important, you know, like to keep it an open mind. But it's also important to remember not everybody can be right. There is answers to some of these things. You right. know what I mean? And uh, uh, um, I think we've got to start kind of there's a lack of critical thinking in the entheogenic scene. I don't even really like going to conferences, psychedelic conferences and stuff anymore. Cause I think a lot of the stuff that's presented is just crap, man, you know, and there's a real lack of credibility. It's, it's, it's a quack fest. And it's I a new market that, though. I think you're going to get that, you know, it's like the same yeah, thing. Well, that's unfortunate because it shouldn't be that way. This is real history, real religion. You know what I mean? One of the nice things about the immortality key is some of the attention he's getting like from the Harvard uh, uh, history of religions department, you know what I mean? Yeah. And stuff like that. And that's where this more attention on ethnobotany and 
Yeah, yeah, it needs to be discussed in, you know, like conferences on Indo-European culture, conferences on the history of religion and, and that sort of thing. And it needs to move away from this uh, kind of sideshow freak, freaky thing that has been kind of presented in and, and moved into mainstream scholarship. Yeah, I think what it is is just people like you, we mentioned a few times, just basing it off their own experiences and then th- looking at it through that lens and applying it to ancient text, ancient data, research, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think that there is some good stuff out there too. I mean, to your point, yeah, yeah I've seen some crazy speculations, but I've also seen some good stuff too. And even in the stuff that oh, isn't, yeah, yeah. isn't so good, there are still some nuggets in there. Of you There's know. some great great writers like Tom Hatzis is a good guy. He's got a great book on the witches, white men, and Western mystery traditions. I'm a good friend of uh, P.D. Newman's. I think he was on here recently. Yeah, we've had P.D. on a couple his times. His book, Alchemically Stone. Yeah, you know, he was yeah. a, uh, a consultant for Libra 420, you know, and when I have uh, uh, questions about Freemasonry, you know, and uh, this is another interesting area where we're seeing entheogen- entheogenic evidence turning up is in some of these secret societies and stuff like that where they were using uh, uh, potent elixirs and initiation ceremonies. And I think that maybe have something to offer, you know, is 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 that interface, you know, like kind of trying to re-ritualize some of this stuff to help bring around peak moments, you know, because a lot of it is set and setting. Absolutely. Um, and I like all the occult stuff, too, because if there were people that knew what was going on, it would have been the alchemists who were dabbling with you know, nature and making elixirs and potions and different things. And, um, well, there's absolute, absolute references to cannabis and alchemy. You know what I mean? There's no questions asked. Uh, you know, uh, there's Zosimos in the fourth century, kind of like the one of the founders of the modern alchemical tradition. Uh, you know, he wrote about uh, cannabis and Darnell infused in wines and beers in Egypt for magical purposes. Uh, Paracelsus uh, used opium. He wrote about cannabis. Uh, 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 the Lullian corpus as well refers to cannabis and arcanums and quintessences, which were basically tinctures of one or many plants. Uh, 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 Cardano, well-known alchemist as well, wrote about cannabis infusions. Rabelais called himself a master of quintessence, which is an alchemical uh, uh, alcohol-based infusion of herbs. You know, incorporated uh, three chapters on cannabis into his classic Gargantuan Pantagruel. So it's clear that uh, it's magiric alchemy, that's alchemy with plants, that cannabis, mandrake, and other uh, uh, psychoactive substances were in use. Yeah, I'm not uh, really understanding, because we've had you know a couple psychedelic scientists on, Matthew Johnson, uh, Andrew Gallimore, and we were discussing you know tropanes and how the, the actual mechanisms of what we know of how they work. And tropane seems like one where you can actually experience things that are not there. It's more of a delusional or a delusion thing than, so that might be, you know, the source of some things, but I, in terms of it being like when they say, you know, you look at like Plato's explanations at like the elusive of the Eleusinian mysteries and other, you know, what Alcibiades was doing and the, the profaning, the, uh, the mysteries and all these different things, the explanations don't make it sound like, something recreational or something enlightening, you know, like when you, you, what, what I know about tropanes, it seems like it's not as pleasant, obviously, as your, your Solosby or well, be trip. downright nightmarish. You yeah. Know what I mean, it's like, uh, you know, but you know, the, 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 the search for knowledge isn't always bright and pretty either. Right. right. <laughs> you know, certainly the witches, that's a lot of the dark imagery there was probably 
due to the types of plants uh, that that were in use. Datura, mandrake, you know. Yeah. Um, and bean. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so, yeah, so do, what are you working on next? Are you working on anything? Or are you... I had been working on a book about uh, Aleister Crowley and drugs, um, but uh, uh, due to the popularity of the immortality key, I kind of got sidetracked on that, and my publisher wants me to uh, revisit some of this ancient world stuff in light of some of this new archaeology, like the stuff out of Israel. So I'm kind of trying to summarize some of my earlier work on the agent world right now in a shorter, uh, more straightforward book. You know, a lot of my stuff is bogged down with footnotes and uh, yeah, I think there's no stuff like that. No better so time. I'm trying to kind of get something. i trying to get something that's a little easier for kind of just the typical lay reader to uh, uh, make their way through with uh, some of the more solid, cold, hard facts that we have now. Uh, so I'm working on that currently. You know, and I've got a couple of articles on my blog that that are related to that, uh, one on Indo-Europeans and Proto-Indo-Europeans, and another one on uh, Dionysius. The, can the cannabis-infused wine of Dionysius is what I'm suggesting. And this is something that Professor Carl Ruckus suggested as well, is that uh, Dionysian wine was a cannabis infusion. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, we look forward to that. I think uh, there's no better time. It's a great time to come out with that, obviously, with everything that's going on and this movement, the psychedelic movement and everything like that. Um, yeah, I think plus what Libra four twenty is like eight hundred pages, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Yep. But that's a heavy, heavy read for the average reader, especially if you're, yeah, yeah, you know, not into the these exact topics. I mean, we're all nerding out here, in, you know, we're all nerding out here right now, you know. Yeah. But not everybody, you know, looks at these things. No, I think you should do it. And like you said, the the finds uh, uh, that they just found, you know, the cannabis and the incense and all that, and then. I think they just found masks too from Israel, that region from dating to eight or nine thousand BC or something along. Oh the, wow! Yeah. So cool. That basket that they just found too, that the oldest yeah, basket, oldest yeah. Basket. Lots of stuff. Yeah, I've been wondering what material that's been made out of. I was trying to find out. I'm sure there, there's probably. Good, I mean, if there's not already, there probably will be a, a paper. Yeah. Written. Yeah, um, I'm sure. Well, well, listen, man, let's wrap it up here. This was a fascinating talk. We, you know, you've definitely brought a lot to the a table, which is, yeah, it's, I know, I know we tried to get you on before, um, and stuff kind of fell apart. I know you and I were going back and forth on Facebook about, you know, what we were talking about earlier, but, um, I'm glad we finally got you on. And I think that, uh, you made, you definitely made the case for cannabis. I don't know if we're going to be able to compete with that with all the other stuff. And I'm not really an advocate for the other, um, uh, you know, possibilities. I'd like, to see, I'd like to see a journal come out with, you know, a bunch of different people that are really knowledgeable on the particular candidate, all put their pieces together. Somebody can read them all, you know what I mean? And go over it and, you know, and then uh, maybe a follow-up where everybody picks apart each other's ideas. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an all out zoom battle. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but so, yeah. you know, everybody go check out Chris's uh, blog. I have the link down below from Cannabis Culture. He goes through all of his research and evidence for cannabis being Soma. Um, we also, you know, have the links down below for his books on Amazon, uh, you know, uh, Cannabis, you know, The Soma Solution and Libra 420. Um, and he's got a couple others as well. Uh, so check those out. And uh, one more time. Head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast For just $2 a month, you'll get exclusive guest episodes and segments. Again, if you're not a Patreon member, it's just $2 a month. You get a whole catalog of 
extra segments on any of the guests we've had, Randall Carlson, Avi Loeb, Andrew Gallimore, you know, uh, Peter Shersted. You know, you go on there, we've got tons of people on there, so go check that out. And one more time, for it's very revel- or relevant for this conversation, head on over to Indra's web. It is live. It is the platform we created to have these kinds of conversations. The ultimate goal is to have more debate-style things going on on there, so... Uh, I like what I'm seeing so far, but head on over to indrasweb.org and sign up for an account today. And uh, again, thank you so much for coming on, Chris, and we'll definitely get you back on. I know there was some other stuff we definitely want to talk about that we didn't get to, but hopefully we'll get to that next time we have you on. And uh, yeah, everybody stay safe out there. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we love everybody. Stay safe out there and uh, we'll catch you next time. Peace.